What are some of the best choices you've ever made? Becoming an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Becoming an ambassador for Jesus Christ. That's one. Anybody else? Graduating. Graduating. Huh? Giving your heart to Christ. Best choice. Okay. Anyone else? Pursuing a career. Pursuing a career. Car home. Hmm? Car and home. Car and home, okay. Marriage. Marriage, okay. All right. That's the one that they're putting a lamb in your car. That's a good choice. <laughs> and knowing how it sounds when it go up. You know some people don't know how their alarm sounds? Okay, so we've all made some best choices. Bible meets life. Page Bible meets life. Go ahead. If you've ever tried to add oil or transmission fluid to your car without a funnel, you know the value of this little utensil. Funnels have the unique ability to gather material from a wide space and condense them into a specific narrow location. Life can be like a funnel at times, and not in a good way. Our culture offers a huge amount of choices and opportunities that seem to provide fulfillment. Yet, when we follow that path, we quickly find ourselves squeezed into a narrow, unfulfilling existence. As we'll see in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus taught that the way to true fulfillment is like an upside-down funnel. If we begin on a narrow path, his path will soon discover a spacious life overflowing with joy, purpose, and peace. One path comes with many easy options, but it quickly closes on us. The other path is narrow and well-defined but it opens to a full and joyful life. The choice is ours. Okay, so this lesson is focusing on how we choose the paths in life. Jesus met with his followers on a mountainside and taught them about growing as disciples, growing in a relationship with him. And his instructions has come to be called what? Those instructions. The Sermon on the Mount, right? We see it in Matthew 5, 7 to Matthew chapter 5. Um, later, as these same disciples lived out what Jesus taught, they displayed a notable and powerful transformation in their lives. Jesus brought his, rest, his instruction to a close with a series of comparisons. Each comparison challenged his listeners to make the wise choice of devoting themselves to him completely and that's a choice that God wants all of us to make so what's the point choose to follow Jesus choose to follow Jesus okay so let's look at what the passage has to say okay, yeah yes get through the for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go, who go through it. How large is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life? And few find it. 
Okay, so throughout the Sermon on the Mount, look at verse 13, enter through the narrow gate. The gate is wide, for the gate is wide, and the road is broad that leads what? Destruction. To destruction. And how many people go through it? Many. Many. Okay, so throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus challenges disciples to make wise choices with their lives. Same challenge is for us today. Their choices would determine whether or not they would have fulfillment in their walk with Him. Everybody wants fulfillment in their lives, right? Yes. So the choices they made would determine whether they have that fulfillment or not. We have the same challenge. The good news of Christ does nothing for a lost person until he or she personally decides, makes a choice to receive his free gift of salvation. Okay, you can, they can talk about it as much as they like, but as long until they make that decision, nothing will happen. For the Christians, the challenge of discipleship requires a choice too. Jesus couched the choice in a simple but striking way. Described first as gates and then as paths. Each gate offers a completely different life path. Entering the narrow gate leads to a life of restraint and discipline. In fact, the word narrow carries the idea of restrictions or obstacles. By contrast, entering the wide gate requires no restraints at all. Happy-go-lucky. A person who chooses that gate will feel no pressure to live according to God's spiritual standard. The word broad alludes to a picture of prosperity. It also speaks about plenty of resources to indulge themselves. People who take the broad road simply meander through life without any kind of spiritual concerns whatsoever. None. They have no spiritual compass, no spiritual barometer. The wide gate and the broad gate can appear to be very, very attractive at first. And that's what catches people off guard. But in the end, it's a foolish choice that leads to what? Destruction. Destruction. Those who reject the gospel because they find it restrictive will eventually end up regretting that choice that they made. And there are many people today who are, who are regretting that choice. In due time, they will see that they have set themselves up for destruction, not only now, but in eternity. See, some people only think about now. They don't think about anything beyond this life. In many people's vocabulary, eternity doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. It's only now. Believers who choose the wide gate and broad road of self-indulgence will come to regret their choices as well. And so there are believers who are following the world in going through the wide gate and the broad path. They too will suffer the consequences. They will eventually realize that they have taken a path leading directly toward regret. A life of misery, pining over mistakes that they have made because of the choices they have made. Okay, let's look at the paragraph on page, paragraph on page 56. Jesus used the word picture of gates to describe the way we approach life and God. 
Research indicates that 45% of Americans believe there are many ways to lead to God, that any gate will do. Yet the major religions of the world, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism, and Christianity, all teach something different, even contradictory, about the nature of God and the way to salvation. The law of contradiction clearly states that, that two opposing things cannot both be true. So, how can two opposing views of salvation both be correct and both lead to God? Jesus told us to enter through the narrow gate, verse 13. Jesus himself is that gate, which he made clear in John's Gospel. I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. John 10, 7 through 9. Just as importantly, Jesus is in one gate among many. He's the only gate. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. The path that leads to God is narrow not because it's difficult to become a Christian, but because you can get to him only one way, through faith in Jesus. All other religious systems have at their core a works-based approach, meaning you can only come to God by doing certain things. But the core of Christianity is the truth that Christ has done all the doing. Seeking this narrow gate, Jesus, is the most liberating choice we will ever make. The narrow gate opens wide to reveal a joyful and fulfilling life, but that gate will stay open forever. Elsewhere, Jesus said, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because I tell you, many will try to enter and won't be able once the homeowner, homeowner gets up and shuts the door. Then you will stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up for us. He will answer you, I don't know you or where you're from. Luke 13, 24, 25. Each of us has a critical choice to make about our eternal future. And the time is now. Okay, each of us have a critical choice. Many people don't see that choice as critical. The path leads to God's, to God is narrow because it's difficult to become a Christian. But because you can get to him only one way, through faith in Jesus Christ. And then again, seeking the narrow gate is Jesus most liberating choice that we can make and this is a message that we need to pass on to others who have not made that choice yet individuals who are still struggling who are still going through the, the broad gate and on the, on the, on the broad path who are going through all kinds of problems whenever they come to you complaining about their problems then you need to tell them about the narrow gate you need to tell them that the path that they're on is the contributing factor to why they're experiencing all that they're going through. They're on the wrong path. They're going through the wrong gate. Question number two. Have you ever experienced the truth of these verses? How? How? Oh, how have you ever experienced the truth of these verses? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Okay. He is the door. 
use the door, okay. Lord, Lord, don't we prophesy in your name? 
God put demons in your name and do many miracles in your name, then I will pronounce to them, I never knew you to part from your witness. Okay, notice the two definitions there. That day in verse 22. Refers to what? The day of judgment at the end of human history. Also called the day of the Lord. Uh, when God will intervene in our world and judge humanity. Boy, I'd be looking forward to that day. When we look at all the corruption and the crime and the crazy things that people are doing in this world today, you know, you're looking forward to something like that happening. And then lawbreakers. Who are lawbreakers? Okay, those who have not experienced salvation through the forgiveness of sins offered by the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Yes. Okay, let's then uh, Jesus move from the wise decisions about following him to warning about false prophets. He identified these as dangerous deceivers. Now many people don't see them that way, but that's exactly what they are. Dangerous deceivers who take on the appearance of loyal disciples. They are not what they appear to be. And that's what is causing a lot of people to trip up. A lot of people are being deceived because what they're seeing is not really what's under the surface. They appear to be sincere and authentic, but they're not. And so Jesus' images of wolves and sheep's clothing works well to describe their ability to shroud their true identity. Okay, so it's not always what you can't always judge a book by the cover, they say. Yeah. All right, so listen carefully to the message, is what he's talking about here. Question number three. Question number three. Page 58. What is our role in producing fruit as we are transformed by God's Spirit? Win souls for the kingdom of God. Okay, that's one. Win souls for the kingdom of God. What else is our role? Pray for others. Praying for others. Okay. Our role in producing fruit as we are transformed. Evangelize. Okay, evangelization. I feel like our life. Okay. Lifestyle. Okay. Um, by obeying the word, by obedience, the word, and uh, living according to His word, He will produce through us. Okay, okay. So your answers is what everybody else is saying. Okay, evangelism, living the lifestyle, allowing your life to be lived out according to the word. Okay, very good. What are some practical examples of good food and bad food? What are some good examples of good food and bad food? Being a Christian and not living Christian life. Okay, being a Christian and not living the good uh, the Christian life is an example of what kind of food? Bad food. Bad food. Okay. <laughs> Rotten food. Okay. All right. Let's look at the paragraphs on page fifty-eight. Matthew seven verses fifteen to twenty-three. Warning his hearers about false prophets, Jesus said, You recognize them by their fruit. Verse 16. This fruit refers to a person's actions and attitudes. It can either be good or bad. To bear good fruit can mean leading people to Jesus. See John 4 and 36. Serving them in Jesus' name. See Matthew 7, 16 to 20. 
developing the character pieces internally. See Galatians 5, 22 to 23, and more. Mm -hmm. We cannot experience salvation without being transformed, without becoming the kind of person who grows good fruit. So, how do we know? How do we know? If a Bible teacher is the right one to sit up, if a certain person is the right person for marriage, if a person is the right partner for this adventure, the answer is simple. Become a fruit inspector. We saw in the previous ses session that Jesus spoke against judging others in a condemning way. Even so, we need to make evaluations about people at times and we're wise to do so based on the fruit in their lives. It's important that we take the right actions as followers of Christ. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Verse 21. But bearing fruit, real fruit for Christ and his kingdom, is impossible on our own. We need God's help, as Jesus said later in his ministry, remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself, unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. John 15, verse 4. The point is clear. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. We can't produce a single act to bring about our salvation, nor can our lives produce one piece of good fruit in our own strength. Therefore, let's position ourselves in Christ and bear His salvation and His fruit. Okay, very good. Now notice what, uh, what he says here in terms of bearing fruit. He says to bear fruit can mean leading people to Jesus. Remember that someone said that's evangelism. I think the Andrew said that. Yes. Serving them in Jesus' name. Okay, developing the character of Jesus internally. I think Sister Beth mentioned that. And, uh, and more. We cannot experience salvation without being transformed without becoming the kind of person who grows good fruit. I think Sister, Sister Brenda mentioned that. Okay, so how do we know if a Bible teacher is the right person to sit under, if a certain person is the right person to marry, if the person is the right partner in our business venture? The answer is simple, become a fruit inspector. All right, become a fruit inspector. And uh, we saw in the previous session, Jesus spoke about judging others in the court in a condemning way. Even so, we need to make up evaluations about people at times. We are wise to do so based on the fruit in their lives. So there's nothing wrong with being a fruit inspector, but there's something wrong with judging others, condemning others in judgment. Okay, so he says, rather than condemning others in judgment, be a fruit inspector. Look at the kind of food that is produced in their lives, and you will be able to determine exactly what kind of person they are. Okay. <laughs> the fruit don't lie. And the fruit doesn't lie. A tree cannot produce a fruit other than what it's designed for. Okay, so the fruit doesn't lie. Okay, let's look at the paragraphs then on uh, the, the, the uh, verses. On page 55, again, verses 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of me and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. Rain fell, the river rose, and the winds blow, and pounded the house. Yet it didn't collapse, 
because its foundation is on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blow, and pounded the house, and it collapsed. Okay, so in verse 24, Jesus brought us instruction to a close with a, another comparison. This time between two foundations. Building on a solid foundation required taking his instructions seriously. Listeners weren't merely to hear his words with no intention of acting on them. And a lot of people do that today. They, they go to church, they listen to the message and the sermon, and they have no intention in their heart whatsoever to go out and do exactly what that sermon says. They get together in their little huddle, it's like a football huddle, after uh, the, foot, uh, the football players huddle on the field, and they talk about what a good huddle it was and all that sort of stuff, but then nobody goes out and put the huddle, with the, the, the action in the play. All right? And so we hear people talking uh, after church about what a good message it is. And the question we need to ask them, okay, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Okay, it was a good message, but how are you going to use that good message? How is that going to work in your life? How is it going to be applied? And so Jesus used it here, uh, this, this comparison. Listeners were merely listening to the word with no intention of acting on them. On the contrary, he expected them to build their lives on a relationship with him and to practice the principles he taught. Principles that are taught are intended to be practiced. He expected them to build their lives on a relationship with him. In the, power, in the parable, a sensible builder did what? He constructed his house on the rock. Right? Solid foundation. Wise builders would take the critical step because they knew floods would come along and destroy the house if it was built anywhere else or other than on a solid rock. After Hurricane Joaquin, uh, the government decided that they're going to build differently from the way those buildings were built before. Okay, because they knew the danger of the flood and they saw the difference of building on solid ground or weak ground or unstable ground. Likewise, we make a wise decision when we build our lives on Jesus Christ. On Christ the solid rock. On Christ the solid rock I stand. Why? All the ground is sinking, is sinking sand. That's right. Okay, let's look then at uh, the paragraphs on page 59. Matthew 7, 24 to 27. What is it about the beach that makes everyone an architect? It's the sand. Building sand castles takes minimal effort and can quickly bring a sense of accomplishment. The problem with these sand structures is they quickly disappear with the next high tide. We're good at building sand castles with our lives. Your career is doing well, but you'll need to cut a few corners if you're going to achieve your goals. Your child is a natural athlete, but if she's going to get that scholarship, she'll need to, she'll need to, tra she'll need to play travel games on Sunday rather than going to worship. Your marriage isn't going the way you hope. Such as these are like building a house that overlooks what important it is. 
here. Even if life seems wonderful today, the rains will come and the winds will blow. Storms are as certain as the sunrise. And when sand castles and storm clouds collide, our houses, our lives will crumble. Building on sand is easy. Building a life on the solid rock of Jesus and his teachings often calls for hard choices, but it's worth it. Every time, when you've tasted the goodness of God, see, see Psalms 34 and 8, you'll want to leave the beach and dig deep into the rock. Okay. Um, someone turn to Psalm 34 8. <laughs> oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Okay, oh taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who does what? Takes refuge. Takes refuge in him. And so building on the sand is easy. Building life on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and his teachings often calls for what kind of choices? Calls for what kind of choices? Hard choices. <laughs> All right, the choices are not easy when you follow in Jesus, are they? Oh. No, because everybody's going in one direction and you have to go in the opposite direction and it's a difficult choice because you're going to be criticized and condemned and castigated because you're going in the other direction when the majority of people are going in the other direction. Okay, so it, it uh, building the lives on the solid rock of Jesus Christ often calls for hard choices. But isn't it worth it? Yes, it is. It's worth it. Every time when you've tasted the goodness of God, you'll want to leave the beach and dig deep into the rock. Okay, page uh, 59, question number four. What are some difficult choices you are facing right now? Obeying God's word. Obeying God's word? Okay. That's difficult because a lot of times we read the word of God and, and uh, what God says, boy, I don't know if I can do that, Lord. I mean, that's kind of tough. Yeah. All right? So difficult choices aside. Anybody else? What are some of the difficult choices you are facing right now? Asking for forgiveness. Asking for forgiveness. Anybody else get answers besides Claudia? <laughs> huh? <laughs> Uh, hmm? forgiveness. forgiveness okay that's one of the difficult choices you're facing right now forgiveness okay anybody else asking for forgiveness you said no. Oh, forgiving others. Okay, forgiving others. Okay. Okay, so one of the difficult choices you're facing right now is, is forgiving others. That shouldn't be difficult. Okay. Okay. Nathan said that shouldn't be difficult at all. We went through that one, right? I you know what I said it's difficult because when you're asking someone to sing, now I make myself under them. Like a pure day. That should be. They're like a day, you know. And then you have to go to ask them to give this man, you see, like you bring your hand up. That would make it difficult. Yeah. What does it make it difficult? I am going to forgive them. Yeah. And that's the only way to be. Sorry, I fixed it on every day. <laughs> what does the Bible say about forgiving others? 
If you don't forgive us, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others, those who trespass against us. So if you have a difficulty forgiving others, then what do you think about God forgiving you? Are you acknowledging that? Okay. Alright, let's look at the, the last question. This time is, is leaving us behind here. How can we help one another continue to build on the right foundation? Okay, so what, what are some of the things we can do to help each other build on the right foundation? Quentin said, stay oh. in the Word. Okay. <laughs> he was there while I was doing my homework, so he answered. Oh, oh, okay, so he was, okay, stay in the Word. <laughs> okay. No, no. <laughs> uh, you need, what you, your response ought to have been, uh, do likewise, right? Okay. <laughs> I, I, sh I shouldn't condemn, right? <laughs> okay. Okay, prayer, prayer and fellowshipping. Prayer and fellowshipping, okay? Studying the Bible together. Studying the Bible, Conference. studying God's Word together. Yeah, we've got okay. lots of opportunities. All right. Okay, such as what we're doing now. Okay, you can take your book and you can go and sit down with somebody else and, and study the lesson. Even before we come to class, go through it. Okay, so that's a good one you can do as well. My plug is coming out here. All right, uh, let's look at how we can, uh, the suggestions that we can have here to live this out. Page 60. Uh, will, how, will you re how will your life reflect Jesus' words in the days to come? Consider the following suggestions. Enter the narrow gate. If you've experienced salvation offered by Jesus Christ, now if you haven't, if you haven't experienced salvation offered by Jesus Christ, now is the time. Speak with your pastor or fellow group member or class member about what it means to choose a narrow path that leads, that opens up to a full and abundant life. Okay, and then you can see the inside cover of the study guide for more information of what it means to follow Christ. Okay, number two, move toward community. Take a step to become more involved in your church community. This can include taking on a leadership role, volunteering for a new ministry, becoming more engaged in your group, and so on. And then number three, spread the word, evangelism. Sharing the gospel of, the message of the gospel is an important part of following Jesus. This week, make a commitment to speak with at least one person about what God has done in your life. Okay? Uh, people have a, have a tendency to respond to a person who, can I, who they can identify with. Right. And then finally, if you're not careful, this world will funnel your days into a crass and crumped version of the American dream. Don't let it happen. Choose the narrow gate offered by Jesus and find life. Amen? Amen.